HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. The Houseman XP Podcast Network is taking you on the journey. Your host, Master Trainer Heath Hyatt, will combine his decades of experience as a houndsman and as a professional trainer that will light the path forward and make our packs lighter on this lifelong journey to become better hunters and houndsmen. There are no shortcuts, so lace up those boots and grab a dog leash. The journey begins now. We're going to Indianapolis, Indiana, and we're going to meet with Darren Petty. Darren's a retired school teacher, got some military in his background, and he does train dogs for a living. And the interesting thing that, that Darren has that really um, intrigued me is he does a lot of the same things I do. He has hunting dogs, and we're going to go a little deeper into that because He's like our good friend Alex. He's got the Lycas. And he's also training companion dogs and service dogs. So those are two different um, animals there all, all together. Um, so we're going to talk about the hunting side of things. And then we're going to bring in what he's taken from the law enforcement, the service dogs, and the companion dogs, and how that's made him a better handler and trainer. Um, one thing that people don't realize and I had this conversation Monday. I certified some dogs uh, this past Monday from outside of my group. So it wasn't my core group that I train. And it's a lot of difference in being a trainer and being able to problem solve. And it is holding the lead and running back and forth in a search pattern. And, you know, a lot of our guys are really good handlers. But if you had to put them in that trainer's role... It changes everything. And Darren and I just had a quick conversation about one of the things that has benefited me and got me to where I'm at is because I was raised with dogs. We used dogs on the farm when I was a kid. We always had a dog around. And then when I got into the hunting world, I was able to read that dog's body language. Even though at that time I couldn't tell you why it was happening, but I could tell you what was getting ready to happen. Um, so we're going to integrate all that today and tie it together. And this is just going to be a great, great episode. So Darren, I really appreciate you coming on. How's things up your way today? Well, the weather's a little better than what it has been. It was Monday. We had frost. It was cold, but, uh, you know, it is. So I was running hunting dogs last night. It was pretty cool. Ah. You know, it's sort of like the weather was cool. And today I'm, Wearing shorts. You know, Chris and I had this conversation, too, because he's up in Indiana. Um, he's further south than me, yes. right? He's down there in like, Switzerland County or something like that. It's hard somewhere. to tell. He's out in BFE somewhere. Who knows? Yeah. But Monday, you're right. At, at train, or we, you know, we had training, and 
like it was 30 some degrees Monday morning. And this evening I got off work. I had to work. It's 81 degrees this evening. And when I come in, I mean, I, my uniform was drenched. I'm like, <laughs> you know, three days apart. And I don't know whether it's summer or winter. I don't know what's going on here in Virginia. Well, same thing here. You know, just wait a while. It'll change. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So Darren, tell us just a little bit about your background. Um, just kind of tell us a little bit about it. What you, you know, I know you're retired from two, you're getting ready to have two different retirements and then we'll get into the, the dog stuff. So like a lot of us, I grew up with um, hunting dogs. My dad did not come from a hunting dog family, but he was very fascinated by it. So we started out with beagles and then he got into coon hounds and that's what my dad loved to do was run coon dogs. And, and, uh, so that's how I got started. And like I was kind of telling you, it kind of falls into why I'm so precise on stuff is when I became a teenager, I started wrestling a lot and I got to do that. At a, I got to do everything I ever wanted. I mean, I ended up working and coaching for the army at the Olympic training center and spending time. That's such a precise sport with a lot of technique and that kind of crossed over for me, but it's, you know, growing up like you, I mean, I just grew up and, around hunting dogs and I loved it. And I always said when I was done coaching, that was what I was going to have. I remember talking to a buddy, he grew up in the same kind of thing. And, uh, he was like, yeah, when, when we're done doing this and, and, uh, we're going to have hunting dogs. And I said, well, and then, you know, 13 orthopedic surgeries and, and a replaced knee later, I couldn't, I couldn't do all the things I wanted to do coaching wise. And I said, it's time for me to step down. Cause I was big on being able to teach and, work out with my athletes so several years ago i started working in dogs and and i was very fascinated by a little side story on that we didn't have squirrel dogs when i grew up i'd never heard of such a thing mm. so a buddy of mine and we're over in you know we're over in a war zone and a buddy dean jones from pensborough west virginia he said his grandpa had feist i said a feist what the heck is a feist so he explained, and that was what I start when I got out of out of coaching. I actually started with the vice until the coyotes tried to kill it, and then I thought, well, I better go to something a little bigger. And eventually, my wife and I had talked about teaching in Alaska, and between the three northern breeds, we were going to take a sabbatical. I wanted a dog that would keep the bears and the moose out of out of the yard. So I looked at finished bits. Well. Uh, those people were a little odd here in the U.S. They do not understand a finished spitz as a hunting dog. Mm. Uh, they would argue with you. You can't hunt a finished spitz in the U.S. They would argue with you. And I couldn't find, and they wanted to charge you a lot. Same thing, you know, we, there, there's very few elk hounds that people use. And so I read Vladimir Baragovoy's book and I was like, that's the dog I, I want to, I want to get. Yeah. That's how I ended up with them. All right. Let's go. Let's backtrack. So when you coon hunted, what kind of dogs did you run? Uh, we started out with walkers, but we ended up uh, with English dogs. Uh, my dad's very best friend, some of you guys might know him. He's passed away now. It's uh, Mike Rafe. They're uh, up by, not very far from Kokomo, Indiana, and Mike had some world champs. And so we mainly had English dogs. Okay. Um, and, and that, and you know, Mike's in the Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, that's that was, and that really taught me, my dad, you know, he ran dogs, but that was a lifestyle for Mike. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he was out there trying to win. So he was out there, you know, six, seven days a week. 
know. So that really taught me if you want to have really good dogs, the amount of time you got to put in. Yeah, that's a full time job. Those comp guys, they, I mean, they're they're, and I mean, I did it, <clears throat> and I I don't want to do it anymore. But you know, I was I was hunting six and seven nights a week, and I mean, I enjoyed it the time that I done it at the, during the time that I done it, but. You know, you know, kids come along and jobs and life changes and everything right. else. And, you know, it just kind of changed my my thought process. And I have found with me, um, and this is kind of a detriment to my job, is I can't sleep during the day. And I don't know how I did it when I was younger. I guess I was just too young and dumb to know any better. <laughs> but, man, I mean, I like to be in bed by 10 o'clock, like, I'm I'm one of them old old timers that you know when the it's dark they roll the streets up. So I don't leave to go run the dogs at night till ten o'clock. <clears throat> sure, and then I we. get home about two, and then I got to take my son to school at seven, so I got to get up for that, and then you know go from there. Yeah, but yeah, I just can't I can't stay up like I used to. I could probably hunt till twelve or one maybe. And probably be all right, but I couldn't do it five, six nights a week like I used to. Like I, yeah, that, that gets a little rough. Now yeah. I had two young dogs. I was starting like well, three. So it was run school, you know. And I having three young dogs and an, an older dog, and then uh, that's seven, and then having a, you know, Kilby's twelve, but she still will put five or six miles in. I just kind of rotate her around. But I would go and drop my son off to school, and I would run squirrels. I come home and train my, my obedience dogs and my board and train dogs or lessons. And then I pick my son up or my foreign exchange student from Germany. And then I go coon hunting that night. And I tried to do that. I did that about five days a week this last year to really have those dogs. Those, you know, you want to put good time into those young dogs, mm -hmm. make up your mind whether they're going to fit into what you're doing. So yep. I was hitting pretty hard this last year. Yeah. So let's go to, you said you what you talk, you said you got the you ended up with the the Leica, mm -hmm. and you know you're talking about the Spitz. I I judged the AK AKC show down in Durham uh, last year, maybe the year before last last year. Yeah, it was last. It was this time last year actually, um, and they had the um, they had a couple of those the Spitz, and I mean they were well put together dogs. Um, confirmation. I mean, they were, they were nice. They were a nice looking dog. Um, a little bit smaller than the, than the, right. the Leica. If you talk to any of those guys and I spent a lot of time talking to guys, there's one guy in particular over the years that I spent a lot of time talking to is Eric Krogstad in Norway. He had the number one Leica, West Siberian Leica, you know, in Norway, his dog was named Ice. And that, and he had titled him and everything, big game, small game, so forth. But you know, when you're talking, and I, I pay a lot of attention. So when they judge a finished spitz over there for the treeing, mm -hmm. they tree harder than a Leica does because they get its barks per minute on Capricali or grouse. And Capricali, if you're not familiar with them, are like a almost like a small turkey. I mean, they're, mm -hmm. they're a pretty good sized grouse type bird, and they get they they judge on that. So when you listen to a finished spitz, a lot of Americans like a finished spitz barking because and I, I'm gonna probably in the future cross with a Norbotten because of our I can't pull the dogs in from overseas like I used to. Um, because I used to deal with 
and they're not hunting a tree type of like as much as big game like us. It's mm-hmm. getting harder. And the people that I do know happen to be in Russia. So obviously I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to pull that, but I'm very concerned about our genetics just being too close. Mm-hmm. And, you know, looking at a, I've been looking at a breed outcross and I've been kind of battling a little bit with UKC on them, understand the Northern breed side on making that an X cross, just like you do a hounds or curs or feist. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you, it's hard to get the Northern breed group to understand what that Norbotan. I mean, that if you're not familiar with a Norbotan, it almost looks like a small Leica. They're white in color. They got spots on them. Um, and they treat like a finished bits. Yeah. So they, they tree hard and, you know, you want to add a little bit of that in and then, and then go back your three generations and then, you know, they're back to a Leica. Or if you want to be the Norbotan person, cause you're having a hard time finding Norbottans, then you can go the other way. Cause I've got a couple female. I got one particular female. It's pretty small. I got you. So how many, how many Leicas do you have? Uh, I have five. You have five? Yeah. So, Right now, I'm kind of, you know, we all get to this stage. I'm sure you've been there. My oldest female um, is 12 going on 13. And then I have another female who's seven going on eight. And then you got the young dogs. They're two, two, and and one. Kill, I've got Kilby's grandson who's a year old that I'm very, very excited about. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I took him um, and took him – because of where I live, um, I can't just go down the street to the woods. I mean, so I'll start those Leicas on a lead, on a long line, like, and I'll have them train at the park mm-hmm. because those squirrels aren't real smart, right? They'll go up there, and a lot of times, well, at three months old, he just started, I mean, first squirrel I ever saw in his life, he just started training, like, hard. And that's what I'm looking for. My first like I ever had, that's – he was about the same age. I'm just walking through the woods and that's how I got into him because I'd never been around anything at trees so early. He's not quite three months old. Gray squirrel goes up the tree, way up the tree. He's trained. Gray squirrel timbers and he goes with it. And I called my dad and I said, I've never seen anything like this. You know, I never, at three months old, you know, wild game. And he was a phenomenal dog. Unfortunately, he got a lickia mm. and I had to put him down at like four. Um, and he got it in like January or February. And that taught me a lesson about never, about con- continuously putting on, you know, giving pills to dogs mm-hmm. year round because I lost, you know, lost a really good dog over that. And he was my first like it. And he was, you know, everything you'd want. I mean, I did a try, what I called a trifecta hunt with him because I tried to train those dogs to do a little bit of everything. Um, I squirrel, we went, uh, hunted wild birds up in Northwest Indiana. He flushed three pheasants, two were hens, and the rooster was too far away. Two big cubbies of quail. We killed quail. On the way home, we stopped, we squirrel hunted, we killed squirrels. And then that night, I coon hunted with my dad and killed coon. Hmm. All, the, all of them, you know. The next thing I want to do is bobcat. So I got to go west. Hmm. Yeah, you know, we can't, we got a bunch of them, but we can't right. kill them here. In yeah, Bryce was telling me that. I don't know, here a while back that uh, they couldn't do anything with them. So, yeah. We can't get under. It's very difficult to get them to understand how many bobcats we have. Um, Being retired military, I get to hunt on Camp Atterbury, which during the War on Terror was the largest 
military installation for sending National Guard soldiers overseas. So it's about 37,000 acres, 38,000. Well, I can hunt on that, and there's 27,000 acres I can hunt on there. Mm. So it's pretty good. It's, it's 45 minutes from my house. I might be one of maybe two guys that squirrel hunting, and I'm the only guy that coon hunts because they don't have anybody trapping coon down there anymore. So they're like, but the rule is that whatever's in the tree has to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a big thing to them. So that was, uh, you know, I have to take them all. But fortunately, where there's a gentleman that I have, it's a friend of mine from Mississippi that grew up with 12 brothers and sisters, and he eats everyone I kill. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, he takes yeah. every one of them. So if, he probably takes a rest down home or whatever. So let's talk a little bit about your um – your training business kind of tell us what what you train um kind of what that consists of so a lot of what i do and i do either i'll do what's called a board and train and that's depending on the dog anywhere from 14 to 24 days depending on where the dog is and and i don't charge them any extra for that when I feel like the dog's ready before I'll send it up and they get five follow-ups and the dog's guaranteed for life. Any issues with your dog, you call me, I'll come back. Um, that's mainly, that's all obedience stuff. Like they got to do all on leash. That's heel automatic sit down, um, stay on. And I work on that piece, which it, I use the word stay and I don't really have to, mm-hmm. but I do that mainly for my clients to really understand because when you give a dog a sit, it should be implied the dog should stay in a sit. What is it? Uh, sit means sit. Yeah. Right? Down means down. Yeah. Some of yeah. some of my trainers, like some of the guys that that like when I get certified, and I, which I will be Saturday, you know, I tell Pino down, you know, I tell him off, and they're like reinforce that. I'm like no. Down means down. It don't mean get up. It don't mean you're free to wander around. And right. they, they fuss at me nonstop for that. No, that means you're there till I release you. That's I just right. give the stay command for for my clients. Yes. So they can understand that dog's not supposed to move right. from that position until I release you to move. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do that piece. And then when I get to the part where the dog on the, on the uh, board and train side, when I get to that piece and the dog's doing all those things, um, then they have to go to the store and do all commands. They can't be barking to other dogs, um, and that's oh, that's a typical issue. My favorite thing is to go on Saturday at PetSmart because uh, that's a, a you know if your dog can handle that pressure, like you know it's, yeah. it's it's a fiasco in there, and, and uh, I get some looks by the trainers. Of uh, their crazy acting little dogs on harnesses, which is a pet peeve of mine. I don't know about you, but harnesses uh, for drive only. When you put the dog in the harness, you're telling him go, go. Yeah, you don't have any control over the neck, and that, and a good bird <clears throat> dog friend of mine who's also my vet. He said that's when you get bit, and he's right because I remember I was doing. You know, I do police canines, and 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 I didn't have that drive only in his head, and he turned. <clears throat> I couldn't turn him off of me. Thank God when he turned his body, he didn't, because I was getting ready to send him on a bike, he didn't bite me, you know, re- redirect his bite on me because he hadn't got used to that harness yet. And I learned a quick lesson about making sure, that, like you said, drive only. Um, and that's why I tell clients all the time with that. And then I take them to the off, off-leash off piece, heel, automatic, sit, down, stay, come. 
And I do require that come for them to come in and sit in front of them. I do hand and voice commands. I do hand signals and voice commands. So mm-hmm. if that person wants to take that to another level, they can. Um, the dog already knows it. Um, everything I do is videoed. Um, one reason is so the person can go back. And the other reason is if anybody ever says your dog that you didn't train their dog, you've got a record of it. That's only happened once where somebody gets on their little Facebook group and, you know, complain about you. And so they had 85 videos because somebody, some other uh, person I trained as a little neighborhood Facebook group. I'm sure you've seen this. Yeah. Yeah. Said something. And of course there was somebody else I trained a dog and they sent me a message. So they ended up with 85 videos of their dog. And I said, I haven't heard from you in five months. I told you that I need to be there next week to help you with your dog. So I don't have that problem anymore. Follow through. And that's the thing, you know, when you, yeah. especially well, when you well, do companion dogs, oh, they, they don't practice, practice, practice. Yeah. Because when you do that board and train and, you know, I tell those people and I tell them before I do it, I said, if you think that dog is fully trained or you're not going to practice, don't waste your money. Mm-hmm. Do not spend that kind of money because you've got to go through and that dog knows how to do it, but you got to learn to do it. And that's the only reason why I send the videos. And before those dogs leave on their off leash, they have to be able to do that where I live. And I live on a busy road. They have to handle, I throw a ball or a toy and they have to be able to, I don't care if they retrieve it, but leave me and be recalled back. Yep. You know, cause that's what get, you know, that's super important when you live in town or, and for us, but yeah. For well, companion dogs. Well, any, any dog. Um, and I mean, we'll, we'll go into the hunting section part of this too, but like one of the things that I think is a must, and I know that I've said it on here before. Uh, I think me and Ariel talked about this way back when I started doing the first podcast that a recall is necessity. If you told me that I had, if I had to have one command on a dog, it's going to be a recall. And my, my narcotic or my, let's just say my detection guys, most of them are single purpose. Um, we we're doing more tracking in NARC now. So we're adding the tracking piece to them. You know, the last set of dogs that we had before everybody kind of filtered out and I got new handlers, it, none of those dogs recalled. And what happens if you, you know, fall in, in the, you're running a car and you end up right. tripping and falling, the lead comes out, they're running down the middle of the interstate. Like, you, you have to have a recall. $15,000, worth of work right there for you guys. Yeah. And, you know, in our hounds. And I know that, you know, the guys can tell you that I hunt with, you know, I can clean my dogs up a little bit. There's sometimes I don't really care. You know, maybe I want them back, but maybe I don't really have to have them back and i let them slide a little my hunting my hunting is a little different but you and i talked about the lead and let's just go into that we talked about the you talked about the lead and how you make the dogs lead you know i want to tap into your philosophy and maybe some of your training techniques and then i'm you know i'll go into a little bit of what i do so i kind of switched in and it's a little bit of what I was taught at school, and, and I'm a graduate, I, I want to say, because we kind of discussed this. I went to um, school at National Canine in Columbus, Ohio, and the guy that actually started that was one of the first guys to do service dogs, Scott Mueller. He was retired by the time I went there, so I took everything. So I took the obedience piece all the way up to personal protection dogs, tracking, and service dogs. 
as well where behavioral modification and they did a lot of stuff just starting off on the leash mm-hmm. okay just a short leash and i started backwards and i and um there's some people that might not agree and there's some but i i still like keeler i, I like old man keeler and in that long line situation that, that he kind of does and i would I, I prefer to start that dog on the chain slip lead and then on that long line and I'll just be going before I start on the, with the leash. And I'm looking for that dog to not be paying attention. I just change directions until that dog. And I don't even talk to the dog because I want that dog to pay attention to where I'm going and start to focus on me and not on the, what if they're, if they're sniffing, whatever, I want them to start to look where I'm going because they're uncomfortable. I'm not pulling on that lead. It's just tight. Mm-hmm. So that dog's uncomfortable. And uh, I think my buddy that uh, I bought the business from in, uh, Indiana Working Dogs, uh, Greg Holland at Stair Step Dog Training, said this, all good things come from me, all your comfort. So if you're with me and you're traveling with me, you're comfortable. If you're not, you're uncomfortable. When I see that dog switch to that, then I'll go to my leash and start throwing in my commands. Um, if it's just pet dogs, you know, I, I need them to do like heel, automatic sit down, all that stuff. But with my hunting dogs, I, I throw in a follow command because when I'm walking mm-hmm. through the woods, I do not want that dog wrapped around everything. Mm-hmm. And and I adjust them accordingly. And there's a couple ways you can do that. And maybe you do certain things. I, I you can you don't have to start off with a chain. You can start completely on low level electronic collar approach. Um, and you're just tapping the button instead of me changing directions and letting that call, I'll just tap that button on a low level and say, let's go. And then that dog starts understanding when they feel that sensation. So you can do it that way as well, mm-hmm. uh, because we're going to use electronic collar. And I don't know about you, but, um, one of the things I was, uh, trained was to put the collar on the side of the neck to push up towards your knee. Mm-hmm. That's, Instead yeah. on the throat, and I find that to be very, uh, very helpful. Um, and I think one of the things, and I'll, you know, I, I'm big on with vernacular because they use it against us, right? I mean, all the people that are anti this, and they use the wording. I don't like the word shock collar. Mm-hmm. It's actually a training collar. I'm not, because it's like a TENS unit. If you've ever had a TENS unit put on your muscles, that's the way an electronic collar feels. We've all hit an electric fence. It does not feel like that does not feel like now that doctor puts that tens unit too high freaking hurts. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever had a tens unit put on your muscles. Well, but. we actually had, uh, it's, uh, it's funny you say that today we had a uh, taser recertification and I reached down to change my cartridge out and I hit the, the test button and I jolted the snot out of my hand. <laughs> like, I mean, it hurt. I about dropped the taser, and I was like, don't let go of it. Um, but, yes, I kind of got what you're saying. I've been tased before. We have to do that in training. It, it's the same effect. <laughs> like, it's not pleasurable. Yeah. Yes. And uh-huh. the higher you go with the stem, the worse it is. And, you know, right. we can get into all the, you know, a lower level of stimulation actually re- releases endorphins which makes the dog speed up and it's not a, a bad thing so correct yeah we're all there and i think you talked about this one thing uh before 
is the only time I really want to turn that up. And, and I think you, you mentioned it as a subversive training where you want to like make that dog never want to do it again. Yes. Is that the wording you used? I, I want to say that you were talking about that one time and, and I, and I started using that terminology with my clients and kind of referring it to your parents say, don't touch the hot stove. Well, you didn't learn until you turn touch the hot stove. Mm-hmm. That's you know, you have to like use wording like that with uh, people that aren't knowledgeable on that stuff. Like most of the people on here are very knowledgeable. They, they know, but when I, I've got to like get people over the idea of the shock collar mm-hmm. and that's what they've always been told. And then I have to explain to them and then how we do that keeps us, um, because when you're talking to guys, especially when I'm talking about guy, when I'm talking to people over in Sweden and stuff, um, there's a misconception that like us hunt close. Uh, they're talking about those dogs going 10 kilometers. Oh, wow. Yeah. To go find a moose. Well, that gets out of the range of their. And so there's guys that can't hunt on Sundays because they can't get their dog. If it doesn't find a moose because mm-hmm. they can't use an electronic call. Correct. And, and they got wolves there just like in, in areas where we do too. And so we don't want to lose that factor mm-hmm. because we got more roads than they do. And I want to be able to hunt my dog on Sunday. Yeah. You know, I don't want to have to worry about like you and I did growing up where, where I slept in the truck with my dad when I was about eight years old because we were waiting for that dog to get trained or barked yeah. or something. Yeah, been there, done that. You know, it's so yeah, funny. We, I'm just sitting here thinking, and it, I mean, it's, it's definitely been a thought in my mind before, but it's so funny how the hunting community – um does not see and eat well i won't say i won't say all of the um service dogs or the sport dog community because i think it's i can't i think it's kind of a, a mixed uh, bag the hunting community has no problem using the e right and then you go to the companion community and absolutely not not you know not 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 um and you know one of the trainers you know, I I can make that dog come to me, you know, if as long as there's a positive association and whatever. But what right. where where is the breaks when he decides he does not want to? And if you don't have that that in place, if you don't have something that can cause an adverse effect, then you you do not have complete control of that dog. And, and it gets dangerous for the especially for us or or pet dog people that I deal with. I, I just you know, one of the things that I'm always explaining to them, I go, yes, can I train a dog? Because it goes back to some of the stuff. The way we were trained was not electronic collars. Well, we did both. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where you're putting that dog on what we call a tab. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. It's just like almost like a cut-off piece of leash. Mm-hmm. And you're going through in a fenced area, and you got to correct that dog back to the spot or mm-hmm. wherever you're at if you give him a stay or something like that. Um. That takes a lot of time, and most people don't practice enough. And that's why I tell them, like, and I, I just flat tell them, and you know, I don't want to get. I just tell them, I go, I can do that, but you're going to charge. I'm going to charge you six thousand because it's going to take me a long time, and it's going to take me a, twelve lessons with mm-hmm. you. And I, like you said, because then, and still, there's no guarantee. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a smart dog will figure out after a bit. You know, I, uh, there's nothing there, and then you know. Then you got an issue, just like I was saying, the guys in Sweden are, 
you know, searching for their dog on, they can't hunt on Sunday. You know, mm-hmm. that doesn't sound like fun to me. So Darren, let's go to, um, let's just start talking about how, like, and maybe we've already touched on it. You know, what are some things that you, you have learned from your training business that has helped you in your hunting world? Like, I know it, that, I know. Go ahead. That, I'm sorry. No, you're good. Um, I heard, you know, Chris had, uh, talked about it on a podcast that everything, you know, and everybody's different. You know, some people's okay where they're at. You know, I'm okay. You know, my I'm, my dogs do X, Y, and Z, and I'm good with that. And, like, I feel like I've been blessed because I feel like there's always something a little better, whether it's a, a method or, you know, somebody has a different style or a training technique or whatever it is. I'm always willing to to go outside the box and I want to learn like, you know, I want to learn and I dog behavior is something that, you know, I I work with every day. Um, but it's definitely helped me understand the why my, my, my police canine training. And I can't say everything that I know I have stolen or taken from somebody. I didn't know any of this stuff. None of it. None of it's mine. Uh, it's all been somebody else's. But I've ha- I've been so blessed again that I've had so many good people that have spent time talking to me, training me, coaching me, mentoring me. That it has made my hunting life so much more enjoyable and and pleasurable. And I actually understand things ten times more than just turning the dog loose, letting him run, catching a bear, going back to the truck. I, I, like, I understand things that that are happening and why they're happening. And, do I, okay, do I let this play out, or do I need to use some type of technique to tweak it, to fix it, or is this something that needs to be squashed, if that makes sense? Hey, guys. The journey on Houndsman XP is teamed up with Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media platform that was made for hunters by hunters. If you guys and gals have listened to any of the other podcasts that I've been on, you know what a huge outdoor enthusiast I am. I love being in the woods with my hounds. There's nothing more exciting than hearing the thunder of a spring gobbler. I love fishing for trout in the brooks and the streams, and I love being on the river chasing that ever-elusive fish of a thousand cast, the muskie. Go Wild is the place that I can post my trophies, hunts, and memories without being censored. But Go Wild is so much more than that. It's a place to share your stories, sharpen your skills, hone your tactics, get gear reviews, and shop for anything outdoors. When you make a purchase from the Go Wild store, Everything is free shipping. Anything that you purchase anywhere in the country, no matter how big, free shipping. So go down to the show notes, click on the Go Wild link at the bottom, and get signed up today. And let's go wild. If y'all purchase anything from Go Wild, make sure that you're using the Houndsman XP promo code. 
And that code is going to be HXP10. So when you go in there and you download your cart, and you come up to the bottom and it says promo code, add Houndsman XP to it. The journey on Houndsman XP has teamed up with one TDC. This dual action support for oral health and mobility in our dogs. This unique supplement is so effective that it is recommended by top veterinarian experts worldwide to maintain and improve our dog's health in four different areas. Their oral health, hips, joints, and muscles, skin, coat, energy, and recovery. Guys, I've been using this product for the last six months and it has been a game changer for me. If you're looking for something to help with the overall health of your dog, go to worksowell.com and give this product a try. It is highly recommended by Houndsman XP here on The Journey. Yes. Uh, yeah, I will tell you, with especially with, with me on the, uh, you know, running a West Siberian like is in a busy place like I have, that that um, understanding on how to get that training piece, and I and I mentioned this when we were talking before, is when you're touching and you're working with that dog, and of course even and I, you've discussed this many times about how you're handling your puppies and all those things um, and stuff like that, you're starting to build a relationship with that dog. When I'm working that dog on leash, <clears throat> I've now created a set of rules that he understands or she understands that dog understands. Hey, I, you know, there's rules here when I'm walking on this leech, it's not like out of control behavior. And, and, and I, you know, uh, you and I were talking before about, you know, we use a lot of studies of animals to fit, then refer to kids or people. Well, think about what I did for 20 years. I taught kids, right? So if you didn't have a structured classroom, it's a free-for-all. And you don't build a good relationship with those kids. If those kids know what directions that you want, they'll try to stay within those boundaries. Sometimes those ones will go outside of those boundaries. you got to correct that behavior on whatever way you want. Some Same thing with dogs, though, because you built that relationship. I mean, man, my, first, my first students are like 38 years old, and they still – talk to me about stuff that I, you know, I'll never forget how you did this or whatever else. Yeah, it's fun and whatever. But my point is, is when you're working that dog on leash and then working to your off leash, you're building a relationship with your dog. I tell my clients that all the time. I said that practice makes you, the dog understand your body language, the way you're carrying yourself and you start to see their body language. And I and and you you know you and I will see something in that dog behavior. We'll see it happen and, and fix that quicker just because we're used to seeing it all the time. I mean, I don't know how many thousands of dogs I've trained, and you've been training dogs longer than me um, on that end. But that's thousands of you just you and I pick that up quicker. And the only way you get to that point as a you know, on handling dogs is that you got to do it. Mm -hmm. You got to put that time. And I found that relationship, especially with Lycas. Lycas are a dog that really bond with their owner. Um, and that's really important. And, and as mentioned by Vladimir in his book, um, Hunting Like a Breeds of Russia, he mentions it like you, a lot of, you can't go down and get your buddy's Lyca. 
and we'll hunt for you. He talked about that. There's a lot of Leica still that, that act like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I went up and picked up a Leica from Dave Wood. Um, it took a month before that dog would hunt for me. And I know those old time Kerr guys would say the same thing to me, Yep. but it's, you know, they got a little more hound today and, and, and they're a little more houndy in that part of them. But those old time Kerr dogs are very much like that. When I talked to my buddies, you know, especially the older guys that I, that I know that, you know, like 75, 80, and they're like talking about, and that is what they, what they like when they go with me. That it remind those like has remind them of the old time Kerr dog. That's that's that that one piece that yeah, they are an aboriginal breed. Anytime you get primitive aboriginal breeds, it's a little bit different. It doesn't matter when I'm grabbing a Shibu Inu and, or or a Leica, they're a little different because they got that when you get into those primitive breeds, it's almost a little more wolf like mm -hmm. in, in, in behaviors. And that's why I, I spend a lot of time on that social uh, socializing aspect with being around other dogs because they don't play well with others a lot of times. Well, that might be okay in Russia but that, or wherever in the middle of nowhere, but it, it won't be okay for me if my dog comes up and gets in a fight with your, your dog. You're not going to be real happy with mm -hmm. me, and I might. So that's a piece. And all that time I'm spending with my dog, it's easier for me to recall them. And, you know, they know what I, they, they read me better. I read them better. So I, maybe I just kind of carried on, but that's kind of what I've seen through my training piece of the trainer. That's kind of worked over into my hunting. Yeah. I, and you can tell it like the guys that spend a, an enormous amount of time with their hounds, like, you know, it immediately, like they don't have to yell and scream. They're soft-spoken, the dogs, you know, listen to them, and you know, I'm I'm go back to the lead, and I I had a person ask me, you know, well, how much is too much obedience? And this is I get this in the the, the le side of it too. Like, well, I don't want to have my dog where it won't go out here and perform its duty. Well, it depends on how I train the obedience. One, and Jerry Bradshaw and I actually kind of we didn't talk about it on the podcast, but we we had talked about it off you know i i don't think that you can have too much obedience on a dog and now yes it do, for my hounds do i make them sit stand lay down stay i, I don't do a lot of that stuff with them because it's not necessary in what i'm doing i need them to come to me uh, i need them to lead um you talk about a lead i don't like a lead on my dogs and everybody hunts with me knows I put my dogs on a double coupler, and they walk right beside me or behind me. Simple as that. Now, how do you train that? I had these guys, well, how do you train that? Well, first, I learned this from an old-timer 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and I, really, I learned really quick, once you get one dog that will lead and stay with you, it doesn't take, it doesn't take many, many repetitions to get the second dog to understand that okay, this is what I'm doing. And then you put the third dog on there, and he's like, oh, okay, this is what I'm doing. And the next thing you know, you've got six dogs that are following you out of the woods with, without a lead on them. Just um, drag along. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I do it a little bit differently because I, I'll – and I don't put a lead on my dogs a ton except for when I'm starting them out just so I can build it because I'm going to get them to the point where I'm, I'm telling them to heal or whatever, and I'm using that low-level – 
low level electronic collar approach to mm-hmm. keep them in the distance I need. Yeah, but they so, but they understand that 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 low level is not a punishment for doing X, Y, and Z. It's a it's it's telling me that Dad said stay here or stay with me. It's not you know that's that's where people sometimes get the dynamics of what's taking place mixed up. Right, um, and, and it's like last night I had a young dog and it's the first time she'd ever seen a skunk. And I, I, I wasn't paying, and then I looked out of the corner of my eye and I knew exactly when she was going across that field, but, I, and I couldn't get to my, and, I, and I'm carrying a dog tree now, I couldn't get to my phone fast enough, but I just yelled, no, leave it, come. Well, she started to come back, even though the skunk sprayed, she was far enough back, she just got a little dusting, but that went back to all that stuff that I had done over and over, because you're not always going to be able to react quick enough. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that could have been a car. Yeah. You know, um, like I said, I, I live on a busy road in Annapolis. I mean, in five minutes, you can be down there where the colts are playing from where I live. I just happen to have seven acres because it's been in my wife's family since the 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, so that road's really busy. But I don't put it – if the dogs get goofing off, my dogs at step stairs. If they get goofing off – I'll go back to the electronic collar and then touch that up. Like you said, touch it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of the time, you know, I've already put that in and then it comes in, you know, I can call them um, back pretty easily or stop them just, you know, and that's good practice for when I'm in the woods because there might be something, the collar breaks, you know, quits working, whatever. Yeah. So all that, all that work we put in, might be the difference between something bad happening, you know, or just control. I've got a, uh, I've got a, um, I've got a bunch of uh, sayings on my wall in my office. But one of the one of the things that's that's in my office that's hanging right on top of one of my my boards says, "Don't don't be upset with the results you don't get from the work you didn't do." Yes, you know. If you want something, you're going to put the time into it, and you're going to you're going to make sure that it happens. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time with my dogs when I get them from you know, and if I'm raising puppies, hands on every day. You know, we're you know I'm doing this and I'm doing that. You know, I've got a litter right now that you know they're um, they're right at three weeks old. I don't know how many days, but today I, I got them out of the box. Was fooling with all of them, messing with them, and then I just got a uh, a new pup that she's ten weeks old, and I mean I'm spending two, at least two hours a day with her, you know, at, at least, and I'm and it's on top of me working or whatever I'm doing. Well, and because your puppies, you probably already handled since they were born, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, because you were showing that the other day with what you were doing, and, mm-hmm. and you you had did a little reel or something. Yeah, you just put a reel on, and you were doing that, and that's very similar to another uh, old an old obedience trainer named Linda Came in Lionheart Dog Training does something very similar on that hands on the puppies. And then you get a 10 week old puppy you didn't raise. So you probably have to spend more time with that 10 week old puppy than you do the other than yours because they're already ahead of the game. Yeah. Is that I, what you're saying to me? Well, I'm just saying, I, I feel like, you know, I'm going back to, you can't spend enough time with them. I mean, right. 
you know, I don't have my dogs. My my shepherd is literally poking me in the arm right now, want me to pet him. But I don't have the dogs in the house. Um, our season is very limited. I do not. Yeah. I I don't coon hunt like I used to. I mean, I used to hunt twelve months out of the year. I'm, you know, I'm bear hunting about three months, and I'll you know I'll take a trip or two, a week here and a week there, and a couple of days here and there. So I may get three and a half months a year. But this weekend, all of my dogs were out, you know, and I, I live in a place where I can turn them out. I live in a farming community. Um, I don't leave them out. My pups I leave out, but not my dogs. And, you know, I'm going back to, you know, how much is too much? Um, if you're putting the wrong type of obedience on them, it's probably too much. If you're, you know, it's heavily compulsion and it's not pleasurable over for the correction, dog. Correction, I yes. mean, cut you off. Like overcorrecting mm-hmm. dogs. Um, you, you know, I sent you an article um, because uh, you're very. I get fat dogs, and I I told you that when I sent <laughs> you that article. I mean, I can't do a lot of food motivated training because a lot of these dogs are, you know, they're too heavy. Mm-hmm. That's the only way they've been doing stuff with the dog. And uh, I sent an article to you about how much touch and petting and praise means to that dog. And it was just as powerful as food. That doesn't mean you can't use, I, there's areas that I have to use food, mm-hmm. uh, especially when I'm training a dog that is, and I'm switching to an electronic collar and they have an underground fence. That gets a little tricky because that, that sensation to them means don't go any further mm-hmm. because they got an electric fence and them understanding that, Hey, and I use a lot of food for that. I'll tap that and then guide them in because mm-hmm. they got to understand the difference of the two because there's a lot of these pet dogs that have underground fences on their mm-hmm. property. And so I'll use a lot of food for that to get them, you know, a lot of, uh, but a lot of what I have to do because of what I'm dealing with. And I, you're dealing with a higher end dog typically mm-hmm. with what you do in your business. And, yes. and most of my hunting dogs are a little higher end. You know, we don't, I mean, they can't be dummies because we don't really want, you know, they, they can be somebody's pet. And I just sent one like out that I, he wasn't going to cut the mustard. And so he, you know, I trained him for a young man and said, well, a tree. Yeah. But he's not what I would consider a high level. Mm-hmm. So I considered him like a call. And so I just put the obedience in him and, and I told the kid, what you're paying for is not the dog. You're paying me to train this dog. So, you know, because he doesn't make, he isn't going to make it the kind of hunting dog that I want somebody to be breeding to. Um, and when you're dealing with pet dogs, I'm not often dealing with, you know, the best genetics or mm-hmm. the, you know, it's a little different. You got to, you know, but it's just reading your dog. Yeah. None of them are alike. None of us are alike. And so you got, you know, there's certain ways you got to motivate different dogs. I'm sure you've had police canines that, you know, could care less about a food or maybe not, maybe a ball. Cause you, a lot of times when you're training dogs like that, the uh, toy drive is, you know, you're going to be looking for that anyways. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's, and there might be some other way. And so you got to do that with your dogs, your hunting dogs, each one of them are different. And I try to find what's going to get that dog to perform for me. And each one of them is different. I want to go back to the touch, the tactile, uh-huh. um, you know, and I want to just put this in perspective really quick. Everybody knows this, but I just want to reiterate. You know, guys, from the time them puppies are born till they're 12 to 14 days old, they can't see and they can't hear. 
everybody that's raised puppies know that the mother does everything for them. She licks them so they use the bathroom. She grooms them. She puts them in place. She does everything through touch. Um, touch is very, very important. Like, you can snap a dog out of things. You can put him into things. You can calm him. And I'm going to give you a real quick example of that about touch. So Monday we were training. We had a new dog. Not a new dog, but a newer dog. He's not He's not been in service uh, maybe six months. I'm going to move in this other room. I got uh, We got a... Yeah. Uh, a clock that's going to be dinging here in a minute because it's the old grandfather clock that came from Germany. So it'll be, yeah. it's loud. So he, 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 we're working on recalls and we're doing recalls and he gives the dog a bite and the dog bites and the handler goes up. Well, the dog immediately, uh, it stays on the bite, but he turns his body away from the handler, which shows me there's a little conflict there. So, I tell him to step on the outside, drive the dog back into the center of the body, and I'm like, grab, pet your dog. And I got I got right over his dog, and I started petting him right down the muzzle, right down over top of the head, right down underneath. And, I mean, this is a dog that's not mine that's got a full mouth grip on the decoy. And I'm like, did you see how that calmed that dog down? And he started doing it and just very calm, good boy, good boy, just working and working and working that dog through his face and ears and neck, had him all the way down to the tail. And in two sessions of that, that dog was almost a different dog behavior-wise. He was calm. Right. He was relaxed. And it was all tactile. It was touching. That's it. And there's one thing you said right there, and you didn't realize it, and you and I draw it out. When we're petting that dog or I'm praising that dog, it's good, boy. Mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, and you're drawing that out with, you know, when especially when I first train a dog, said that's it, good. I don't say good till they do it. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm almost there. You go, that's it. And as soon as they give me that, whatever it is I want, and mm-hmm. it's like you said, it's very tactile, but it's, you know, I don't go berserk like, oh, there you. And when I do that, then I then I've kind of defeated the purpose. Like, especially if I'm dealing with a doodle. You know, I'm dealing with a doodle, they're going to go nuts. So it's very calm. You know, and you just did that. You didn't even probably realize you did that when you were talking about what you were doing tactile. Well, the thing is, if if I want my dog to be calm, I got to be calm because the dog's going to feed off my energy. We we all say, especially in our our type of training, that whatever's coming out of you drives right down that lead to that dog's neck, and he knows Exactly. exactly what's going on. So I'm calm. And I know, like, when I get a little aggravated or frustrated with my dog or I get a little sped up on things, my I'm like, and I mean, some of the guys will say, hey, Heath, take a step back. And I'll take a step back, and I'm like, because mm, I know better. But I got tied up in the moment. Um, so tactile is very important. Petting your dog um, is very important. Praise that verbal yes. praise that tactile. Yeah. You know, all those things are, are, are really going to help you in, along with your training, mm-hmm. not just your obedience training, but your training period. Yes. You yeah. know, that that's that's the key concept that I don't care what you're training uh, the dog to do. That's that's a you know, that that goes back to what I think is that relationship um, with that dog and, and, and you building that. And you also said something that's really important. And I have to do this, too. You know, I'm not dealing with brain surgeons, and I sometimes get a little frustrated, angry, upset because the dog is just 
being, you know, it's basically not doing it. And we were talking about how, I think you and I were talking about it before, uh, maybe we we're talking to during the podcast about how dogs actually smell the chemicals on our breath. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know when I start to do that, that dog's reading my body language. It's reading, it's reading all those things. I just try to find one little positive. It could be the easiest thing. Sit. Oh, perfect. Let's let me put this dog up instead of, and you've mentioned that before too, is uh, and I think it was a new training dog you had um, that, that your kid was with you and you were like, Nope, we're done. Yep. Um, I think you mentioned that because I, I you, you get frustrated I always tell my clients and I have to, I have to tell myself and mm-hmm. you said the same thing. They'll tell you, you got to remind yourself when you get to that point, and you're frustrated because you know, the dog knows it. Yep. Just find the littlest thing and put that dog up and put them, you know, try to end on, on a positive, but it could be the littlest thing and make it a positive and just put your dog up and, 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 uh, and, and don't, cause you're, then you're going to work backwards. You're going to fix, you're, you're going to have to work backwards for the mistakes you made. Yep. Um, and self-awareness is huge. And I mean, I'm guilty. Like I, I can raise my hand. I'm the number one person that I, I'm, I'm with you. Yep. Is being, you know, being aware that when I start to lose myself, that I have to step back and it's, it's not a bad thing to put that. And I, I had a, a, a buddy of mine called today and we were talking about a young dog. He had some stuff that was going on and I said, just put her up, just put her up, you know, that does miracles and you know we get so called and we've talked about it before we get caught so called up and trying to push those young dogs and you know do this and do that and they still have to be a dog they still have to be a pup they still have to learn and grow just like you did as a human right um, so and that's that's those are all real important concepts that like putting that dog up and always trying to end on a positive is something that they really pushed on us in school and i'm sure you you guys do too is like i said it can be a the smallest positive, but that, you know, like when you end on that positive, that dog's going to go back there, you know, when you put that dog up, it kind of thinks about that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what they always told me. Maybe I'm nuts, but that's something they were like, the dog's going to kind of reflect on, on the training and that kennel or, or that crate about, okay, you know, on the positive of it. And if you end on a bad thing and you're like being, you know, go remember that too. So, yeah. Um, I remember the first time I had to do one of those uh, Bernese mountain dogs. I don't know oh. if you've ever fooled mm-hmm. with those things. They are stubborn, but they're soft. And I remember calling mm. my buddies just trained them, and he goes, don't over push those things because they're really – or he goes, you'll be working backwards for three days that you done screwed up on. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, you know, of course, I've trained several of them now, but that first one I had a little bit of fits with because if you – Push that dog too much on that mountain dog, then you were two days fixing what you screwed up. So you have to keep that in mind when you're training. Yeah. Yeah. So before we wrap this up, Darren, you, you're, you are a, a faithful listener, and you and I had kind of hit on this before we started that, you know, I try really hard to get the some people on here that have – help me the most. Um, and I can go down a long list because there's a long list of, you know, I, like I said, I, I didn't, I don't know any of this stuff. People has taught me, they've trained me. There's people that have been a big influence in my training career that I've not even spoke to yet. Um, the guys from hits, which is handler instructor training seminars, Jeff Barrett, 
Um, man, I can pick up the phone and call him anytime, and he'll he'll either answer the phone or he'll text me and say, I'll call you right back, any problems that I have. So with the podcast that we've we've had, I mean, we've had some really, in my world, in your world, like we've had Man, some. you've had some high-level people. Yes. I'm like, okay, this dude is really, really, really high-level, whether it's uh, Cameron or mm-hmm. Ariel, who I've tried to, you know, touch base with. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, might be a little difficult for the average, you know, the hunter to, like, pull that in. Um, whereas you and I kind of deal with a little bit different world, but man, you've had some, I mean, I was kind of embarrassed when you asked me, I'm like, man, I'm not, those guys leave me. <laughs> I'm just dumb old country boy that just happened to live in the city and trains dogs for a living. <laughs> yeah. But you're taking, you're taking the stuff that they're teaching and you're implementing it. You're, you're using it. You're making a living off of the, the stuff that these guys do. Um, and one thing that I have learned over my career. And if you'd asked me this 15 years ago, I'd have probably laughed at you, but you know, you have to eat humble pie sometimes. And I, and I told you when we started this, that, you know, I did that with the Dutch guys. Um, I didn't understand their training philosophy. I thought it was crazy. Some of the stuff that they did because it was either so simple or I just thought, why? And after the fourth time of sitting in a seminar, four, four times sitting in a seminar with them, it hit me like a ton of bricks. These guys have been doing this for 40 years. They have titled national dogs. They have won national championships. They have trained thousands and thousands of police dogs throughout Europe. And I don't know anything. And sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow, but... um, and I, I'm going to actually have those guys on here too. Hopefully this year we're planning to do that. But um, so, what what's one of your favorite podcasts, and what did you what did you take from it that we well, could apply? I, I tell you, there's several of them. I mean, and, and like I said, I mentioned Ariel. I, I liked when she was talking about the, you know how the the dog sense of smell work. Mm-hmm. I don't do as much man tracking, so that was you know understanding that piece. But really what Cameron was talking about, um, and it came down and I'm like, man, I got to get out there. I got to learn how he's getting an 80% success rate on picking out puppies. Mm-hmm. For when you're talking, as well as the, uh, the the guy in Auburn with the breeding program. Bart. Because mm-hmm. that really definitely affects what not only what I'm doing as a business, but if I can s- select better, you know, then I do. Then I'm going. Then I'm going to do a better job. And, and uh, I, I use the Bullhard puppy test on the last litter that I tested when I picked out one of my my best female that I've ever owned, Kilby, who's twelve, her grandkid, and and it was perfect. And the Bullhard puppy test is often used not for and more for pets than it is hunting dogs. But I can look at that score sheet. It's pretty simple. I'm sure you use different ones or whatever. Mm-hmm. You you're more. Um, that was one that was introduced to me in school, but that helped me select at a, and every one of those pups actually, the, the one that scored the lowest is the one I just said, wasn't going to make a dog. And I made mm-hmm. him a pet. I made him a pet. And the one that I picked is the one that, you know, and maybe it was just lucky pick or whatever else, but you know, those, that is probably my favorite. I'm like, man, I, 
I tried to talk him to – I tried to get Cameron to let um, – he's going to be down in Indiana at uh, uh, Muscatatuck, and it was a military thing. And I don't know any of those guys anymore. I was like, can't you talk? I was trying to get, get him to let me come down there when he was at when he was at uh, when he comes into the scatter talk because yeah. I wanted to sit down and like really listen some more. So that's probably my favorite. I mean, they're yeah. all of them are really good to me because um, I use it all the time. The one thing that I like about what Cameron does for me, and I'm I'm deep inside, I'm a nerd because I want to learn, right? But Cameron, he he talks about data. And science yeah. and facts. And that goes along with my teaching background. So, yes. you know, I have a bachelor's and master's in education, and there's a lot of data that we've collected over the years on what's going to work, what's not. So that clicks with me as well, and the he, data that, he, you know, with Duke and, and Texas Tech that he came up with and the stuff they're doing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, all those things really, like, clicked with me as well, and that's and a lot to do with my background in education. Yeah, I – like I said, you know, we had Dr. Ryan Hall on, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, that I like, I mean, I, I want to know, I want to know why, like, I want to know the why. And Cameron has that elite group of people, um, around him. And even if I can pick up one thing that I can apply to the hunting side of it, that's right. one thing that I did not know. And that, that can make, you know, that, that will help me be a better dog guy with, with my hunting dogs. I can get where I, maybe I might've made a mistake and not got the best out of that dog. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, he, and he just hooked up with Michael Ellis. You see him and Michael Ellis are, or are running around together now. And for you guys listening that don't know this, Michael Ellis, uh, works for Learberg, been Mm -hmm. making videos since the eighties. Yeah. Um, Those guys are really, really good. Those are, you know, Dog behavior. I don't have all, enough money to keep all the stuff that I should. <laughs> yeah, know? I mean, if I, I'd have more videos and stuff if I could afford everything that I wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, th- those things like that, you know, um, are all really good, and I do pay uh, very close attention because it does fit into into what I do. But man, it's just made my me handling hunting dogs um, a lot better and. Actually, I took a uh, West Siberian like at a dog trainer school, and they were freaked out because they thought it was a no wolf hybrids, right? <laughs> so they, they they looked at that dog, and I know they went back because the head trainer looked at me and he was like, he went in the back room to see if I like flying. You know, look those dogs up, mm-hmm. and actually, that dog graduate was the the first dog that because they really with their AKC citizenship test in like Joe Blow giving you the test. I mean, they were very very picky. He was the first one to pass the test over the German Shepherds. He could do the full uh, off-leash going on the obstacle course, on on the catwalk and everything, doing sits-downs, any obstacle, uh, teeter-totter, all that stuff. He was number one in the class on the tracking piece. Just amazed me how much I could get out of that dog, and that really, really taught me about Lycus. Mm -hmm. They were for me, I was like, man, these dogs are really can be learned because they did something crazy. And you're, you're probably going to shake your head. They, I couldn't believe he did it. So I had that dog in a down and the head trainer threw a ball over my dog's head and his 
Mao jumped over my dog to go get that ball. I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to end up in a dog fight for sure. And that dog didn't break. My dog didn't break. Not because I'm some elite trainer, but that dog just learned so quickly. And I was very impressed by that. Mm-hmm. It's just helped me understand Lycus better. That's yeah. the that's the thing. Yeah. Well, Darren, I really appreciate your time and your insight. Like I said, um, well, I'm honored to be on here and I, I do listen to all your podcasts and, and, and sometimes send you questions and message you and probably bug you because I'm no. always, I'm like you, you know, I'm like that three year old. Why daddy? Why? You know, the, why is the sky blue? You know, no. that's the way I'm about dogs. Why, why is that? You know, that's kind of the same thing. Like I take away with dogs, you know, why does this do this? Well, How can I do that? and you know, for me, where I stand is, you know, I try to respond to everybody's questions and, and like, I'm here to help and I don't know everything. And if I can't answer that question, I've got people that can, but you know, it's not just about doing a podcast. I mean, I, I generally want to make things better. Um, so yeah, you're not bothering me at all. Never. Like I said, and, if and, I'm busy, and I, you know, if I get something, I think you'll, you'll like I'm not afraid to send it mm-hmm. to you too. Like, hey man, have you seen this? And what's your thoughts? You know? Yep. Um, because I do come across a little bit different world than you do. Yep. Um, you know, that, that's a little different world, and I do deal with a lot of all positive trainers, and they kind of wear me out sometimes because you know, if you, there has to be, and it was mentioned in another one of your podcasts, I can't remember which gentleman it was. There has to be a correction piece. It just doesn't have mm-hmm. to be crazy. Yeah. You know, that's right. But there has to be that there has to be a piece where there is a correction somewhere in there. And it can be a mild correction to like we talked about subversal where it's something dangerous, you know, right. where they don't run across the road or, you know, porcupine or, you know, something like that. I got to break that dog where I can't, where it knows it's not supposed to do that. And that correction piece is important. Just don't go crazy with it. That's right. You know, build up on the positives first and then when yeah. i correct and the dog's not going to be freaked out too bad it understands that i you, you built that relationship so yeah well i appreciate your time i appreciate you coming on and, and talking and like i said we do a lot of the same things just in a different area that's all yeah. so and, and you guys do a great job and i really appreciate you and chris quite uh you know a lot and, and what you guys all do and, and uh it's been a lot of fun for me to listen to you because I never was a podcast guy until I was out. I was out running dogs in uh, Missouri, and some young beagle hunter guy was like, "Have you listened to that guy in Indiana?" And I knew who Chris was because he was a CEO here in Indiana. I'd heard about he had plot hounds, and I'd never met him. And then I started listening, and I was like, "Okay, there's a lot of insight here." So you are greatly appreciated by me, and I'm sure a lot of other people. Well, you thank you for that. That's well. We that's what we want. We want to we want to help people. So, Darren, with every podcast, thank you for helping us teach, train, and learn. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you.